Hi, and welcome to Thinking With, a long-form, unpolished conversation. I'm Kyle, an architect and artist. And I'm Kat, an artist and filmmaker. In this season, we're thinking with Chris Krause. Join us in our nine-part discussion on I Love Dick, a book by Chris Krause, and a TV show by Joey Soloway and their ensemble team, starring Catherine Hahn and Kevin Bacon. We highly recommend that you watch along with us. Check out each TV episode and then come back to the corresponding podcast to hear our film analysis and personal discussions that use parallels from our own lives to help us understand this masterpiece by Chris Krause. Check out the book if you haven't read it yet. It features a lot in our upcoming episodes. So here's a quick recap of episode four called Islands. We get a glimpse of Devon's struggles to be taken seriously and to find financial footing in a town of stark inequality. Toby and Devon's budding romance hits a snag when Toby's flirtations with one of the oil workers sends Devon into a jealous rage. We see Devon's grit, cleaning up an abandoned building to enable their artistic work to continue. Sylvia and Chris rehearse a plan to make sure Dick knows the letters are a work of fiction, with Sylvia clarifying his number one rule for Chris, no touching Dick. Upon discovering that Dick has already arrived to the event before they can intercept him, Sylvia frantically tries to signal Chris to change the plan, but Chris is busy fantasizing about a shirtless Dick sharing a lamb. With their plan in shambles, Chris is back to following her obsession with Dick, immediately breaking the no-touching rule. We see that Dick has had enough, telling Chris that he does not find her interesting. A devastating blow which Sylvia tries to cushion. Sylvia and Dick talk directly about the situation, with Dick calling Chris a distraction and Sylvia vowing to make this go away. But Chris is undeterred. She will follow her desire regardless of cost. And when Sylvia directly asks her to stop, Chris replies that she doesn't think she can. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Did you survive mm-hmm. these? Did you survive this episode? <laughs> it's really funny um, because I I spent yesterday in the gallery that I was I was helping out I was volunteering and doing a bit of invigilation so I spent a lot of time reading over the book different sections of the book and just it was just flavored by this noise from this exhibition the whole time like this mm. kind of pulsating like Caribbean reggae infused with like political um speeches about the Windrush era and generation and um so it was a really, yeah, it was a really strong kind of background to be then thinking about Chris's work and the, the, the TV episode. And, but God, it was yeah. so <laughs> painful to watch again. It was yes. difficult. <laughs> I'm glad so that you painful. found it difficult too. <laughs> yeah, this one was a, this one was, there was, this, this was a single flavored ice cream cone uh, of pain for me. Mm-hmm. There was... Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I could feel this one in my neck, like um, just the anxiety, so yeah. potent. <laughs> there, there was some kind of 
the sense of relief for me in terms of knowing that the first watch was going to be so painful, but that I could, in the second mm. watch, like mm. just start to process some of that and undo that 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 feeling yeah. because if i had just watched it once and it was yeah. that cringy and uncomfortable i don't think i would have if we were just casually watching this tv series i don't think i'd watch another episode <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if i'm perfectly yeah. honest yeah but i, it I really... remember you yeah no, no, i remember no, you go. saying that i remember you saying that last time um how <laughs> how yeah how much better it was to how much of a relief it was to put on the like analytical lens to watch it. Um, and so it's the yeah, same for me absolutely. this time. I was like, all right, well, I could try that for the next one. And <laughs> yeah, sort of have a palate cleanser. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, your internet is slightly patchy, just to, just to let you know. Um, sometimes you're dropping out a little bit. Okay. Um, the um I, I guess you know that super cringy feeling from watching that episode, which we'll we'll get into why that is and what that is in a second, but um I think that that's really true to the book. There's so much in this book that is it's so it's it's a, it's difficult to read because you know you're watching something that that isn't supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. um, culturally, you're watching a a woman pursue a man in a really obsessive way, mm -hmm. and it's not it's not easily romanticized. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know if you like watch rom coms through like a 2022 lens, like 1990s rom coms particularly. Um, but like the men pursue women in this way that's completely acceptable, but it's, it's gross now, if you look at it, like there's absolutely no, like no sense of, um, oh God, I just don't even know what yeah. I'm trying to say. It just no, I know, I know exactly what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I, I haven't revisited those, but I've encountered that in a weird, like, and it might've been um, the ContraPoints thing on incels, but like, mm -hmm basically incels kind of making the same point like these dudes are fucking stalkers in these movies and the only reason they're just handsome and charming and so that's fine but if you're not that then you know mm -hmm. it's it, yeah and it's i mean i guess it's sort of a what what chris kraus the character is doing is kind of it's the flip side it sort of reveals I think some of those real like cultural inconsistencies we inconsistencies we have around love and romance and like the mm -hmm. way that that the genders are supposed to behave um so it was really uncomfortable but I guess I had like a like I don't know that that Buddhism second arrow issue where um I was uncomfortable and then having like beating myself up for feeling uncomfortable mm. about it but because realistically I don't know, it's kind of a double, it's a double standard and I'm buying into it by feeling uncomfortable watching her do that. That's interesting. So this is the first time that I, um, I felt kind of like the collateral damage was too much. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, 
I found myself leaving Chris's side a bit here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, feeling, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and being disappointed in myself for that. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing. Um, mm. uh, yeah, because I think so, I, I I don't know. I think so, I think it's it's legitimate to to feel that way. Like I, you know, she's she's lost control in a way that is like. This is just, it feels to me like this is just pure damage at this point. Like th- this mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. this has left the realm of like creative exploration and, and gone into sort of, you know, yeah, obsessive damage. Like, yeah, I don't know. What, do you think, I, that, think I guess I, my question I, is, I, do you I'm think there's, you. yeah, okay. But do you think there's something I, I, legitimate I, to your, um, your feeling of, you know, being disappointed yeah Yeah, yeah, I do I do I do I've been thinking about this yeah quite a bit and I think it has something to do with we are missing we're missing a layer in the tv show that exists in the book Mm -hmm. um and I've been I've been wondering why I've been feeling quite iffy about it and it wasn't until I I spent yesterday going through Joan Hawkins afterward um which is a brilliant piece of writing to kind of contextualize something that, you know, as, as she, as Hawkins described herself, gets skipped over, which is the theoretical aspects, like yeah. the critical theory that Chris and Sylvia um, engage with in the book. What it, what it does is it adds a lens of self-awareness to the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, There's, mm-hmm. You have the ability to understand yeah. through these references that they're making that this is a speculative fictionalizing going on that moves beyond memoir um, and I think potentially what's missing from the TV show is that layer of self-awareness but at the same time it's kind of built in as well um, so so you've got you've got uh, Sylvia saying to <laughs> saying to Chris all right so what are you gonna say to Dick what are you gonna say mm-hmm. to undo this damage mm-hmm and she's like, right, I'm going to say you had nothing to do with it and that it was all a fiction. Um, and then in those moments where she's actually talking with Dick and saying, hey, what, you know, hey, Sylvia had nothing to do with this, but, you know, is this on between you and I? Are you interested? Mm-hmm. Do you want to meet up with me? Mm-hmm. We get the sense that it's not it's not fiction. It's moved into reality for her again. Um, and the, the, the book with its layers of kind of, uh, theory and references allows the reader to move through these layers of, is it fiction? Is it memoir? Is this the, is this gap between, um, like Chris, the author and Chris, the character, Mm -hmm. is it there? Is it not like they, it's very cleverly done. And I think what's missing from this episode and the one before um, and I'd be interested to know what you think of this, mm-hmm. is um, these have been directed by um, Andrea Arnold again, and they're missing the the Rosherman effect mm-hmm. layering of points of view because mm-hmm. the director's playing this narrative really straight up and down the line. Yeah. Um, we're not getting to see the different perspectives of different characters and sort of, but but also that really interesting warping of, is this Chris's imagination? Is this Sylvia's fantasy? Whose is this? And it's being played in such a straight way that I, I do, I do feel like we're missing a layer of 
it being allowed to move between fiction and memoir and mm-hmm. that that's maybe what I why I feel justified in feeling a bit annoyed at myself because I know from mm. having read the two ha, reading the two pieces of cultural property together the book and the the TV series yeah. gives me an understanding that just watching the TV series alone wouldn't at this point in in in, in the in the series I guess completely yeah but but I have to I do feel like um, there may be an like I I agree with that that's a great analysis and I think that's that's totally true that we do we've we've left kind of this blurring of perspective into a, a much straighter focus and mm. I feel like it's a good thing in that. It, it de-romanticizes it mm-hmm. and like and just shows kind of some like consequences um, right right you know <laughs> yeah yeah I, I agree with you on that as well and I guess that's maybe that's the tension I'm feeling is that it this in the tv series can't really sit as a I don't know as a it doesn't really sit as an artwork anymore Whereas I understand mm-hmm. the project inside the TV series of the letters is an artwork, mm-hmm. um, but we don't know it in the TV series yet that it will become an artwork. All we see is it unfolding in sort of quote real time unquote. Totally, totally. I, and I think actually that's a part of it too, where like this, the events are so compressed in the show, and Dick is so present in the show, whereas mm. in the book it's like. This is taking place over. This is a couple fit encounters over, and phone calls over like many months and years, even. So yeah, yeah, you get a much more like Dick is a blank canvas, and you're seeing Chris's perspective and the projections she's making onto that canvas. Whereas here, it's like even the, even though those first couple episodes that lens you were talking about of Dick as imagined by Chris, mm-hmm. I think was very valid. Like we know we know dick as a character in a way and even though he can be very unpleasant like i think we have a level of uh empathy for him and for for silvera even though he can be very unpleasant too that um yeah just makes it just it just grounds this letter writing this obsession this whole thing in a reality that i think is really yeah valuable um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, albeit, yeah, albeit painful. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think so too. I. But I also agree with you completely in that I'm so glad to have both things. Mm-hmm. As so in, I, as in the book and the TV series. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I read that. I I reread that. Um, that afterward analysis by Joan Hawkins as well. And I also reread the preceding kind of chapter, which was the one I'd referenced in our last talk about um, schizophrenia. Oh yes, added up. I, I read that one too. Okay, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, because I remember we were talking about that and I was like, I need to go back and, and, and reread that so I've got a better idea of, of where you were going with it. Nice, yeah. Um, I think I mean there's 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 few like the previous episodes also had like a, a lot more of the um you know bright colored 
deer dick overlays with the little transition scenes of where she mm-hmm. reads like one line from a letter. I think this one only had maybe one. Yeah, and it I was think like, so. And it's like, this isn't going to be pleasant or this isn't yeah. going to be pretty. <laughs> did did like, you think, oh, dear Dick, did you think this is going to be pretty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I found this one a little harder to think about. Um, in, in not like, a, I don't want to say a useful way, but more that... Yeah it's sort of got me yeah it's it's got me thinking still i guess i'm still thinking about it it feels muddled i guess what i Mm -hmm. maybe what i what i want to relate back to is this idea of work so this whole episode to me seems really related to creative output and work and who gets to work and who gets to be valid and what work is valid um because as we sort of we're made to feel that the this letter writing the way she's behaving she's it's it's like a form of obsessive insanity like where like the the whole episode is built to feel uncomfortable and to i think to turn you against chris Uh i mean there's a lot to like about chris but she is inherently quite unlikable as well Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, yeah. There's yeah. just this, yeah, there's really funny moments where like Silvera's freaking out because he's in the room with Dick and he's got to make a speech and Chris is saying, Oh, have it just a nibble on his annex. You'll be fine. But there's just these moments where they're just her and Silvera are so self obsessed, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're so self self obsessed. The whole way through the episode, they're more interested and finding out from each other what the interaction with Dick is in relation to themselves, mm-hmm. that they completely bypass any kind of emotional life that the other is going through. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like the, the, the only, there's only two moments in this episode where they do connect, and it's when Sylvia kind of refutes that, that Dick's, like dick's statement that chris is uninteresting he's like Mm -hmm, you are mm -hmm. interesting you're wildly Mm -hmm. intelligent Mm -hmm. and then the other time is right at the end when when chris is saying i like like silvera saying i i I want this to stop and chris is saying i don't think i can and then she says well maybe we need some space that is sort of the only time that she like acknowledges where he's at so mm-hmm. they, 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 they do kind of tango in that way a little bit. But the, the, the thing that's interesting in that like final conversation is that where Silvera is saying, you, you know, you're a distraction, I agree with Dick, that you have become a distraction, you are distracting me from my work. I got the undercurrent that like she's saying she can't stop because this is her work. Mm-hmm. it's turning mm-hmm. into her work and she doesn't know what to do with that yet so she can't stop because she's following her nose yes. and it's transgressive and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and yes. I feel like that's why yes. the episode feels that way because we don't really understand that it is work yet but Completely. that's where she's heading with it and then the, the validity around her saying to Sylvia that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that, that Dick says I'm a distraction because we are our work. Yeah. The two of us. This is yes. what we do. So having Sylvia actively try and split away 
when he's been so much a part of this practice, this support for her, even though he's been a dickhead about it so much of the time, is quite it's quite telling because he's he's asking her to prioritize him and his work again by stopping this obsession. And I, I feel like that's I mean that's a reading that I, I have knowing that this these letters become a really important hmm. point where her work transforms from film into sort of cultural critique and written art. Um, yeah, there's a little that's, bit of a rant. <laughs> that's great. That, no, that really is nice. Um, I think that's true. I think what you're saying is true. And um, yeah, it sets up the stakes a little bit of like, yeah, the contrast of what it means to hear, oh, my work is being threatened for Silver, mm -hmm. and how that kind of like cuts through everything to be like, oh, it's like, it's like Dick drops this sort of seed that cuts through everything. Mm. And yeah, and I, I guess what I also like is that this is confusing for Chris. That there are stakes here, like she's exploring something, but explorations are hard, you know, like, um, and you're right, she kind of, it, it's a blurring of a line between she's following an obsession because, because there's, there's moments where it's, it's pure, there's, this is like, when she's touching her arm on his suede shirt, like... And breaking rule number two of Sylvia's, which was no touching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, purposely being yeah. transgressive. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's, yeah, it's hard. I think it's hard, like, perhaps she also needs this... Um, oh, I don't know how to say this, but, like, there's a way where you have to kind of go too far to know where the line is. And um, she's doing that. And, and I think she's, you're, you're, you also like, don't really have the capacity to sort everything out in the moment of what all this means and how to sort of tease everything out into a, a narrative like she's done, like in the book where she's come, you know, she's done all this and then she's come back to it and edited it and put it together in a package and you know i think this is a glimpse into something that maybe is um pre-editing for chris like we're getting the the rawness of oh this is this can get pretty ugly this is the experience of it as it's happening mm -hmm. rather than the the edited uh as you say like refined version of it it's the raw material um, yeah. and I think that that's what's uncomfortable because the raw material like the what she writes about is uncomfortable it's difficult um, it's like I've said before it's something that people don't want to see they don't want to see um, a middle-aged woman doing anything other than I don't know what are all the norms of middle-aged women I mean there's a constant reference there to um, her and Sylvia uh, being childless and middle-aged and mm -hmm. doing things in a way that's, that's very much outside of the norm and the consequences of that, I guess, um, come up over and over again. 
yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I sigh because it feels so big. Like it's sort of in and amongst the humor, what they're grappling with. We're watching your marriage fall apart, essentially, yeah. is what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and there's, because they are each other's support, there is, there is no one else to offer that support. It's just the two of them. Um, yeah. And their lives, they're kind of moving around the country, following the, the art and academia trail, following the money that way means that they don't necessarily have the support, I imagine, of, you know, a group of people or a family or in, in you know, mm, in the mm-hmm. way that would be necessary to maybe hold a marriage that's in this kind of state. But also I think it's a crisis of, um, it's a crisis of art making. It's a crisis of work mm, mm. as well. So Yeah. Yeah, no, but I also like I also came away like watching this being like, oh God, I don't know if I have anything to say about this episode. Like, that's so funny that you th- thought that too, because I was feeling the same way. Just like, oh my God, I better pick up the book. <laughs> well, I did it the other way around. I did I did my reading and then I watched the episode, which I'm kind of quite glad I did actually, um, yeah. because. Like it allowed me to feel, um, to feel a sort of a generosity towards Chris and Sylvia, the, mm-hmm. the, the book sort of engenders, which the TV series really does not. Mm-hmm. Um, and remind myself that it's the, the, the TV show is a, it's its own creation. Like it's been, you know, it's been made to, to have this narrative, which I just don't think uh, it doesn't exist in the book. Like these characters yeah. of Devin and, and Toby and Pauline, they don't exist in the book. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let me just have a little look at some of my notes here. Um, I really, I really spent quite a bit of time thinking about, um, oh, my notes aren't working. Thinking about this idea of the lack of, the lack of theory, the lack of critical theory in the TV show and how like that's really, really missing. Like it really, it's because I was chatting with someone um, at the gallery yesterday who saw that I was reading the book and they said, oh, I I love that book. I've heard it's really good. I've only managed to get through like the first chapter and I found it really hard and I want to go back to it. But I just, I found it so, she said it was along the lines of like being very much like what Chris says about Maya Deren, impenetrable. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, because theory, because it's so much, it's so much about, um, it's a certain language. It's, uh, it's a, mm. It could be seen as a, like, likened to an in-joke or a jargon. Um, Completely. And I think that you can read I Love Dick as a narrative and kind of skip over a lot of the theoretical references and just kind of enjoy it as a as this kind of, you know, entertainment. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really intense entertainment. Um, or you can spend a lot more time with the, um, the cultural references, but like as Hawkins points out in the first letters, the very first letters in the book, readers need to have an understanding of like Madame Bovary, Henry Mm. James and the golden bowl, uh, Mm. Charlotte Stant, Maggie Verver, Flaubert, Marivaux. It's just (laughs) like, I mean, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't familiar with like, I think I was only familiar with Madame Bovary when I first picked yeah. up the book. Yeah. Um, but, so that can make it a very 
it can be impenetrable. Um, but it's very similar to reading someone like Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts, where the book is so fundamentally tied to theory, embodies theory. I feel that I love Dick embodies theory. It, it, she lives this theory. She if, exactly, yeah, yeah. No, um, it's it's fundamental to her perspective. So yeah, yeah, it yeah. is, it is, yeah. and so. And and because it because of those references, you do get a sense that um, that that yeah, I think Joan says something like um, oh what does she say here? Oh, I don't have the note. I can't find it easily. Where is it? That's um, good. Hmm. I forget where I was going with that, sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think because of the, the difficulty of grasping the critical theory, um, and just by name dropping one theorist, she's referring to a whole line of thinking that doesn't necessarily get uh like played out in the books you just have to understand it as a reference that sort of provides a in the context. show yeah mm -hmm. yeah 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 right. yeah exactly it, i i do think that there's sort of something missing and hawkins asked asks why theory is left out of reviews of the book um and i would ask why the theory is left out of the show um like like it, because it seems like it has purposefully been left out the more i thought about it the more i realized that actually the film excerpts that that always happen at the beginning of the show so far well i think uh, i think that they do is they provide the theoretical context i was just going to say this yeah yeah i agree yeah, yeah. totally they get yeah. really and it also serves to validate chris because a lot of the time in the first and second episode she's sort of having to she's having these conversations about like ah oh, you know i'm valid my work is valid why is this person valid and i'm not valid and these films sort of they actually do set up the context the framework for the work which so. is this experimental feminist um uh, kind of languaging but i also think that the language of the film is theoretical like the mm. actual like filmic language you know we've talked about the female gaze like mm. that that i mean that yeah. is all done through like camera techniques and lighting yes. and sound and so i do think that the theory is embedded into the work in a way that into the TV series in a way that maybe is less obvious because they're not citing these things, but it's literally embedded into the fabric of the way that the TV show is made. So I guess maybe the theory great, is, yeah. Great journey. <laughs> I'm so glad we ended up here because I was not going to be able to make the point. Like I feel that too. Um, I don't think I would have been able to articulate that other than saying the short films that, are spliced throughout do a lot of that for me. I think um, they also capture, I think, a, an aspect of, like, I, I just like, I, I, I'm totally down with the fact that they've said, this is a TV show and we're going to see what we can do with that. Mm -hmm. And I think in the in the short films, like it's captured this aspect of what Chris writes about in the book, which is like homage. Like it's it's a really nice way of like um, putting value on these precedents and creating like, a lineage, right? Yeah, creating a lineage, totally. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like 
for this one, like, I thought it was hilarious, this, this short film. Um, <laughs> did, you, uh, um, did you get to do a little bit of reading up on what it was? I did not. <clears throat> Hang on, I've got some notes here. It's um, absolutely fascinating. Um, okay, where is it? Oh, gosh. I'm re- I've written so many notes that I'm really, really struggling to... Um... Oh, I did that the first the first couple <laughs> of some. I'm just looking at a sea of swimming text like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, here we go. So it's called um, Trick or Drink by Vanilyn Green from 1984. And at first I was thinking a lot of, I mean, I imagine that a lot of these clips have been chosen um, because they they have like a similar topic to the text and to the overall themes of I Love Dick. Mm. Um, so this one sort of seemed to really fit with I Love Dick, this idea of, I, you know, I would chain him up. Mm. Um, he would be all mine. It really mm. speaks to this kind of like obsession um, mm. that Chris has with Dick. Um, but the sort of when I did a little bit more looking into Vanilyn Green, she's she's absolutely fascinating. I want to read you a quote actually. Give me two seconds. Great. Um, so she says, "There was something about the personal is political." So in quotes, the personal is political. Mm-hmm. What I tell my students when I talk about that time period, which is, you know, going back to when she was making these works in the sort of late 80s, um, is that maybe you didn't have the self-confidence to talk about who would run for governor or president. Um, maybe you didn't have the self-confidence to think you would write a book, but you knew how you liked your coffee and you could start to make work from that place. And that mm. was what I did. It's the it's the making mm. work from the position of of like you know okay mm. I might be only small a small thing that you know but you know this thing love this yeah and I, I and, really love this yeah yeah and yeah. I really feel that um, if this was this was in 1989 this um, trick or drink and you've got um, I lived it coming out in 1997 like it really does like like Chris Krause's work really does owe um like owe a debt to these these works because it was so much about um the autobiographical um becoming political be like 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 Mm. really 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 difficult area to be working in experimental films Mm. um that are super subjective so um so yeah i i do feel like looking into the films the the film excerpts a little bit more just kind of provides even more context Really I'm always context. it's so great I'm, this is like the most excited part uh, of my <laughs> week is like oh what is Kat going to present on the research of this short film <laughs> like this one to me is great because like it contrasts like so to me this episode is like about obsession and kind of mm-hmm. consequences and like the short film is really self-aware right it's it's got this um it's explored I think it's funny because we can relate to how absurd these feelings are, feelings that we've had, you know, and she has the the distance, the critical distance to kind of put them in this package that is fucking hilarious. And then Chris is not, we, like we said, we go to Chris and there's no distance yet. It's just the, oh, this, uh, this is just Yeah, ugly. she's just in it. <laughs> yeah. In the ickiness. I think that um, that Vanilyn Green um, used 
a lot of techniques that Chris ended up using as well. So like hmm. speaking to camera, for example, mm-hmm. like that confessional um, aspect of, of, of the work that Chris, of, I mean, I Love Dick is, feels confessional the whole mm-hmm. way through, confessional to the reader. You get implicated in this, in this obsession just by reading the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's a lot of um, sort of diary entries that, um, that Green reads. Um, and I think that trickle drink is is about um, like growing up with alcoholic parents, about obsession, about addiction. It's mm, so addiction, and it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, like speaks heavily to that. So yeah. I just thought it was a really um, a really smart choice that the totally. filmmakers made for this. Yeah, yeah, I connected the addiction thing too with Chris, just in terms of like the the, the difference between like how she is with him walking to the event, like okay, I'm going to make this right. Like she's, she's not, she's not even aware of the power that the addiction has over Mm -hmm. her because she's making these promises that she should know. She's not going to be able to (laughs) to be able, you know, she's at that point, she should be like, look, Silvera, like I am, I'm in a totally different place right now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Silvera is just not, um, I don't know, like you just, you just feel him trying to like hold back the tide, like hold back the tide and trust that she will do the right thing. Yeah. And she never does the right thing, quote unquote, whatever the right thing is. Um, and this episode is the one episode that hasn't ended in them having sex. Mm. Like there's Mm. like, Mm -hmm. like Chris keeps trying to like throughout the whole thing like yeah. still eroticize it like still it still sits in this this fantasy land like she like it really takes dick saying to her you are uninteresting mm. to snap her to snap her out of thinking whatever it is that she's thinking mm. you know for, for <laughs> just a moment <laughs> <laughs> for just for just a moment well because then it stops being about like imagining him sharing lambs and stuff like that oh the there's this really great trivia quote on prime Mm -hmm. where the other scene that they shot that didn't end up in the the final edit is dick riding in on horseback without his shirt on picking chris up putting her on the horse and they ride off together and she doesn't have a shirt on either And yeah, yeah, this is again. It's you. Yeah, you, you can only read that as straight as fantasy. You know, that scene with the lamb, mm. the shearing of mm. the lamb. There's no kind of thinking that he, you know, Dick might be doing this at all because he, mm. he's present in another space in the mm. yeah, yeah in the in the apartment at a party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. While well, Severe is <laughs> having an absolute panic attack, she's just serenely. <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the back of a pickup truck (laughs) (laughs) I think I've got a little note here um, about the the holocaust of reverence that like gets peppered through this show like um, when (laughs) when um, when Pauline is Oh, she's introducing Sylvia to like like the, the the president of whatever whatever cultural space it is, um, and and Pauline says, 
that this person she's a huge fan of the holocaust yeah and just like the like, holocaust <laughs> wife it's just like this the like the way yes. that they reduce this man's kind of life work and reduce chris down in relation to the life work Yes. And these really unintentional, irreverent kind of ways quite interesting as well because you just see, it's just Sylvia getting like kicked when he's down because he's obviously like completely, completely obsessed with finding Dick in that moment. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, this is this this is like his his chance. Like, if his, you know, to talk to somebody who's a huge fan of the Holocaust. Like, oh shit, this is my whole life. But mm -hmm. he's too caught up in how he's how what dick is thinking of him you know like yeah and i i think also to go with what you're saying like i've i've from the beginning when they started kind of using the word holocaust in the way that it's used in this show it set up a really nice like distance from like it, how do i say this like the event this this almost has nothing to, it's like so far away from the event of the holocaust like mm -hmm. he's he's so deep in studying it and all this stuff but but it's what what we see through this transparency is that like really all this is is like who you are like who we get to what box we get to put you in and mm -hmm. you know um which is really backed up yeah. by, I don't know if you caught the little, um, as, as Sylvia is leaving to go and find Dick across the room, you can hear mm -hmm. this woman saying, because she was, she was asking about his Americanized name. Mm -hmm. And you can hear her out of, off, off screen mm -hmm. saying, I want to call him by his American name because Sylvia is a little odd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like... So you're right. People are just going to see, see, you know, each other the way that they want to. Yeah. Um, I, and it really is it is a bit of a piss take of the art world in that respect I think um, I wanted to maybe talk a little bit more about the art world and like Devon's journey in I was going to ask yeah cool yeah um, again it's a I nice contrast really... like her, her scene with Toby mm. and um, I like these parallels that we're getting between that but sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. I really am enjoying the parallels too because, again, it's about the work. Like, what do you, like, how do you make your work against yep. all odds? Um, yep. And uh, Devin shows up at, I'm guessing it's her, maybe her sister or her aunt's yeah. bar or their, their aunt's bar. Um, and like the the sister or the aunt is like oh, you know you you're fucked up again i'm not giving you a yeah. loan you know yeah. when are you going to stop fucking around and yeah. devon is like you know that she wants to say i'm not fucking around this time <laughs> like this is actually like i'm not fucking around yeah. this is real yeah, exactly and um and they talk about it's like once the, you're in the box she's she's in the box of a fuck up and then so basically yeah. all evidence is now going to confirm that she's continuing to be in that box and Devin's like fuck this like i'm actually not doing there is no evidence that i'm continuing to do this because i'm doing these other fucking things and you won't even be open enough to listen to that yeah and i think it you know a lot plus of plus with the naming with her sister naming her what what 
Oh, Dolores. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like mis misnaming her. I don't even yeah. know if it's a. Would you call it a like dead naming? I think that's what you'd call that. Yeah. 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 Um. Like, what does it take to? They talk about um, the t this town is nothing but space, um, but it's all for rich cowboys and trust fund kids. Yeah. And I was talking about this with you, I think, last episode, this idea of often cultural practitioners, um, you know, are around all of these these spaces that are being used by artists and, and, and cultural figures, but not it's not they're not supporting the local, you mm. know, artistic population. And this is a really big problem. And mm. I really like that, you know, Devin's naming that, that the show is is you know is exploring that that um totally again it, it just sh you know shows that the the game is designed for only a few people to win only a certain kind of person to win um and the going and finding like this old building that's got a sign outside saying don't go in because there's snakes here and she turns it into like she spray paints over it the skids mm. And it reminded me so much of um, like London squatting culture mm. in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. I remember being an undergrad and having Frances E. Pritchard's come and talk to us and being really struck by the story that she told about, I got to London and it was really expensive and there was nowhere to stay, but we saw this, we saw this abandoned building. So we went and we put a a padlock on it and came back a few days later and no one had messed with it so we just moved in and started making art and like there was like this that was sort of what was expected in some ways this romanticized mm -hmm. idea of well there's just buildings around and you move into them it's just not the case anymore like squatting is a real romanticized um kind of 1990s idea that yeah just yeah it's not possible anymore Mm. Um, but that was what it took to get a studio and to get going was to get together with a bunch of people and essentially move yourself into a building. Um, and I, I kind of feel like Devin finding this space and just co-opting it, you know, has, has that kind of vibe to it. Completely. Um, the, I like that. I like how that's played out because we, yeah, we've talked about finances and poverty and um even even in this chapter added up the first paragraph of the book uh, this chapter in the book chris says the night before i dreamt about poverty no matter what the rich may say poverty is not just lack it's a gestalt a psychological condition and i like how devon progresses through this episode where she, like as you say she calls that out to her sister mm -hmm. And it's almost in the naming of it and, and recognizing it as the constraint that it is that frees her up psychologically to start considering other things. And then she, like, as you say, she, she sees this warehouse that maybe she wouldn't have considered had she not kind of faced that constraint um, in the scene previously. Because mm -hmm. it's a nice, because it is a constraint and, and it's, I find this this to be kind of like a struggle where like in my mind I I completely recognize constraint 
being good, like constraint being such a positive thing for my creative process. But what, you know, that's, does, that doesn't certainly does not like, um, validate all some of these constraints or endorse them as being the right way that things should be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Ideally she wouldn't have to be, you know, co-opting yeah. a broken down barn that's possibly infested with snakes yeah. like ideally she would have just been able to do the work she needed to do in the cultural space that was there or maybe to you know like my, my mind can't even right at this moment think of an alternative that exists outside of the art world structure mm. maybe there's just a, a whole nother way of operating that you know the, the potentials are massive we just we just don't we don't have access to them yet yeah yeah. One day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you um, have other stuff with Devin? Yeah. Yeah, I I had a question. Um like I don't I don't I don't really have a lot to say on the Toby journey in this episode. Like I I I was just wondering if you got anything from Toby heading off to man camp with like random dude Lawrence in the, in the back of the truck. Um, I don't know. I guess I kind of see Toby as like, um, a point on a spectrum that contrasts with where, where the other points are. And she's kind of at this point of like, she is, she's in a way like what Chris is aspiring to be, which is like purely driven by, what this the feeling is like her the scent that she's able to track with her nose you know like mm-hmm. and whereas chris is like trying to fit that into her life with silver toby's like this is the only thing that matters to me mm-hmm. like you don't care about like you're upset i can see you're clearly jealous and upset that i want to follow this i don't give a fuck like this is this is my most important thing about me is that I follow this. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of how I see. Nice, nice. I mean, it's useful to set it up as a mirror as well because they all mm. they all mirror each other. They all give us insight into the. They give us a a, a better idea of the like as you say the constraints and the issues and the difficulties, um, and also the you know the wonderful kind of freedoms as well. Um, Rather than mm-hmm. just, again, just having Chris represent all female artists. It mm-hmm. is nice to have some difference in there, for sure. And I, I also thought it was an interesting contrast of, like, um, you know, Chris and Silver talking everything to death. The way Toby and Devin get together almost involves, like, when she comes to, when Toby comes to Devin's trailer, there's, like, almost no words exchanged. It's like each person bites an apple and then they're into it. And yeah. And, but Devin has put all these unexpressed expectations on what that means. You know, you can see in this scene, like she's possessive now. Like she's, she's uh, progressed a relationship in her mind that hasn't been discussed. And um, so I, I thought that was a nice contrast of like, actually you can you could operate in a way that like is based purely on this in the moment feeling but it it has consequences too like (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely i'm pretty sure that man camp should will play out like 
late late in the next episode or whatever whatever yeah. that is so i'm looking forward to seeing where they're going with it yeah but yeah. yeah no i like that point i think you're right um that nothing is consequenceless yeah even choosing to do nothing has a consequence yeah which is great I, I, again just to not to drill this too many times but like we've been so excited about all these characters and like all the possibilities of all this stuff so i yeah i i, I don't know i think it's like this is going to be a good um contrasting flavor to all of the positive that we've got so far like yeah i think you're you know, right it is it's 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 difficult to talk about the negatives in some yeah. ways um it's, it's easier to get excited about the positives or the totally. connections being made totally yeah um i've just noticed here that i've got a um i've got a little note that really um backs up what i was saying at the beginning of our talk around mm. just feeling uncomfortable and then being annoyed at myself for feeling uncomfortable um so i've got here chris as a distraction this is interesting i think she's being fucking distracting <laughs> <laughs> but am i just like really internalizing misogyny there am i like, like I was trying to put myself in Sylvia's position. I like I, there's so much about their situation that I would I wouldn't be doing. Like yeah. I, I choose not to engage with. Um, but to go on a residency means that you're you know you're there to do a certain amount of work. Um, and it does seem like Sylvia has just been engaging in Chris's what he doesn't even think is work yet. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it is distracting him from his work. Um, but then I was also thinking about what it's like to be a partner of an artist or mm -hmm. someone who's working and what, like the support role that you're expected to play. Like mm -hmm. in some ways, Chris is closer to Toby than maybe I thought she was because in her own way, she's still acting on impulse. She's like, I know that I'm supposed to be supportive and I know I'm supposed to be doing all of these things. And, you know, here's a taco and here's a spliff, like these kind mm -hmm. of like yeah. shitty trade-offs while she still continues to follow the scent. Yeah. But she Because those are afterthoughts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I just, yeah, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I, f I feel conflicted, I guess. Yeah. Well, well I, I think that's great because in a way, like what you're saying about footholds to empathize and like, would you be in this situation to begin with and trying to piece together, like um, what aspects of your life kind of relate to this? Like to me, the, uh, you know, I feel this so much with Sony where like, if either of us were to say to the other person, like you're distracting me from my work, it would cut so deep. It would just like, what? everything is intertwined like everything is connected we're supporting each other on everything like everything is discussed between like how could you even conceive of a separation let alone say something that like is is um yeah it's so dismissive of like how things actually are you said you're a distraction uh, <laughs> a distraction to to who? To him? God. To me. You're a distraction to me and my work. That's fucking... I'm your first fucking...
fucking reader. We, we are our work. We are our work. I, I edit your shit. You edit mine. Our ideas are like, we're not even. Who the fuck? How right. dare he? He's right. He's right. No, he's no, he's not, Silvera. He has no idea what the who the fuck we are. He has no idea what no. this is. This feels unrealistic, right? Totally, like, un yeah. Like you can see, considering what we know of Silvera and Chris, it seems unrealistic. Like totally. she's saying, this is, this is unrealistic. Like we do everything together. We work together. Yes. Yes. Um. So it must feel like a betrayal. Yeah, low key, very hurtful thing, I think, for mm. her on to hear and, and then maybe help put her in the space of like, wow, things are like, okay, we do need some time apart. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then what does time, what does time apart look like? I'm fascinated to know what time apart for them looks like because they process everything together, as they've said, they, you know, they just, they just, they're constantly talking. Mm -hmm. um, so what does it look like? Oh, like I'm scared for Chris being alone in her own head in some ways. Okay. So this is, this is where I really tied it back into the book is, mm -hmm. is exactly what you're saying. It, it's sort of like the dissolution of this, um, single entity silver and chris and now what's going to happen when you've ripped these you know artificially ripped a single entity into two mm -hmm. um so i yeah like i re i, I reread this this chapter to try to understand schizophrenia as this line through these different sections of this added up chapter mm -hmm. it's and an amazing chapter it's an amazing chapter yeah, yeah. um and I, oh, I don't know where to begin with that other than like, she talks a lot about that. Chris talks a lot about that idea of um, empathy leading to dangerous places like dissolution of yourself. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I, I found myself also really relating to that, like this, this um, sort of like, red flashing siren that can happen in my head where like things start to become too fluid and mm -hmm. there's no solidity anymore and I'm like oh god like this is anything could happen here which no longer seems exciting to me it now seems scary uh because I don't have a sense of my where myself starts and ends and I don't know I, I don't know if you've ever felt that but um yeah it was I don't think I've ever had a um, I've ever had a relationship or a connection in a way where I felt that I was I would potentially lose myself like in a in yeah. that way. Have you um, had it in not a relationship? Because I I feel like that is often even more the case for me, which is like there's an there's a level of openness which feels like I can carry too far, like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when I hit the too far point, it's like, I've lost track of myself in that. And yeah, I think I, I think I can relate to that in terms of, um, almost like my teenage years mm. where you are so open. Um, I was so open to what other people thought because I didn't know mm -hmm. what I thought. I was so open to what other people did and how they mm -hmm. engaged with the world because I didn't know how I should or would. Yeah. So it's a, I was very willing to take on board um, 
what everyone else thought. Not necessarily um, act on it, but just sort of consider other everyone's everyone's perspectives were valid. Completely. And I mean, I yep. still, I yep. guess, I still kind of feel like that now, but I, I'm more boundaryed, I guess. Completely, and I, for me too. Like I, having already have felt the oh, this is this is maybe too fluid of a state for me to feel comfortable in. It's not a new feeling, so it's not as scary. Like it's, it's more of a pattern. Oh, okay, this is what too far feels like again, as opposed mm -hmm. to, um, you know, mm -hmm. complete chaos, falling off a cliff. I have no idea what the hell to do with this. Um, yeah. So there's a couple. There's a couple lines. Uh, maybe we I could read from that chapter that. Um, yeah, please do. I've got I've yeah. got one quote from that chapter as well. Okay, so here's I'm going to try to map this out. It's still loose in my head, but I think I think what I'm feeling about all of this is that starting from the I'm backed into a corner, the rules are against me type of the rules, let me see what I have here. Um, the difference between who, you're, who you want to be and who you're allowed to be. Um, and so starting from that place, like there's a, there's a reconsidering of, of possibility that Chris does. And, and uh, uh, when, when there seems like there's choicelessness, there's an opening to well, what are there choices here that I'm not seeing? Are there hidden doors that I've that I've not recognized? And um, in in that process, that opening process is similar to empathy. Like it's a fee, it's it's a following of feelings, boundless of your own person, that. I don't know. I, I just like that she starts to explore how that looks when pushed to an extreme. And so she taught, she, she gives examples of people that she knew in Wellington that were, that kind of had mental illness that, um, but she describes it in a really interesting way. Like these people, you know, she's like, this was like, this is not like a typical description of what mental illness looks like. And, mm -hmm. um, so all of that, like, oh man, I'm struggling with this, but like, it's, it's this feeling of like, have you heard the phrase? Like it's, it's no, it's not a sign of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. Yes, I have. I have. Yeah. So this kind of all fits within that thing to me I, mm -hmm. I don't know do you have any, are you getting anything out of yeah it? I am I am okay. I am I the I guess the first port of call for me with that is um trying to think about like the formal qualities of the book like mm -hmm. the letter writing that it's it's inherently a schizophrenic book in itself because we're dealing with these different personalities we're dealing with how did how did she describe the um script so so if lsd creates movement schizophrenia reveals content it's mm. like a 
it's a mechanism for revealing content mm. these letters this is but she also describes schizophrenia as this um the schizophrenic um is so I, th- I think this is where you were heading as well where you, what you mentioned before this is the schizophrenic is so empathetic um that they that they lose themselves in, mm. in someone there's else's, no valve yeah, yeah there's, there's no, no empathy valve switch. exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And Which then, can lead you to places where, and she, and she talks about this, like you can bo- like both, both A and not A simultaneously are possible. Possible. And that yeah. you just chuck, what was it, the, the word therefore in between mm. two completely unrelated mm. things mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You, you've created a reality. Causality. Like a, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's that, it's the, it's the um, conspiracy theory where everything is possible, where everything, mm. the, there are endless connections um, that the sort of, the, the, the empathy of schizophrenia allows for. Um, which I just, I think, I just thought it was a really wonderful piece of work that like pulled apart the theory of schizophrenia, applied it to, you know, different parts of her life, um, applied it philosophically and theoretically. Um, I think she says when she, she's talking about, um, she, she ends up having a one night stand with a New Zealand actor Uh uh and then has to, write 10 paragraphs about how wonderful he was in this this film that has come out or this tv series that he wins awards for yeah and she she's like crying but still writing this article because she feels so badly treated but she needs to write this article and be professional and she says this incident congealed into a philosophy Mm. art supersedes what's personal it's a philo- it's a philosophy that serves patriarchy well, and I followed it more or less for twenty years. Like it's you know going back to the first episode, where like Chris is completely engaged in these patriarchal systems. Like she in the book she acknowledges this. She acknowledges like the things in her life that have taught her the only way to get through is to put the work first. And mm. you know we see that over and over again. Like really toxic sort of work productivity cultures and toxic happiness cultures and mm-hmm. um, toxic romance and toxic sex. And um, it just, I just thought that it was so interesting that she used schizophrenia as a framework um, to sort of show um, her, like her split selves. Mm. Yes. You know, this, this one person that wants to like tell this guy to fuck off and like yep. not engage with writing this, this review of him. And the other one that wants to be seen as professional and wants to like, like the, the, yep. you know, there is no, there is no point of, um, there, there is no place that she can escape this. And, and schizophrenia, I think is a really good vehicle to be kind of discussing that stuff. Um, completely. Yes. That, that, that's, that section is, highlighted the most of any section I have in this book, that little piece about congealing. And, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess once you, once you, once you discover that you survive, you can survive something like that and you've already compromised yourself for work, that that's already a sunk cost. Mm. So you can't yes. get that cost back. And the only way to continue forward is, well, I've, I've lost this now. So I've just got to keep going to make the most of the, what I have spent of myself it's right. very difficult to come back from the abyss of that which reminds me so much of Chris and her initial fantasies in the first episode of turning that awful dinner around 
into a romance because she needed to find some other way to process what was okay. happening. Dick telling her that she was talentless and female filmmakers and make rubbish work and she just mm -hmm. needed a different way to filter that to respond to it it's a similar thing of just all right then i'm going to turn this into something it's not so that i can just deal with it mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i just yeah i see a lot of crossovers with the with the 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 congealing incident <laughs> yes yes like that to me is like the the auto theoretical kind of like seed for all these things, which is, you know, uh, this difference between the personal, like, so the, she, she mentions a couple of things about like schizophrenia and the ability to like absorb paradox. So there's like mm -hmm. a way, there's a way in which this state is actually more realistic. Like, I feel like, I feel like, when I'm thinking about the people she's describing, like, and, and people that I know who have like, who haven't had the capacity to play the bullshit games that society requires, mm -hmm. man, life is hard for them. And, yeah, yeah. And yet there's something I'm always like attracted to about those people because they have a clarity their lens is not so clouded with all of these rules about how we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to pretend this is and what we're supposed to pretend that is like, you know, they have a, they have a direct access to perception that is clouded for so many of the rest of us. Um, and I think that clouding, I guess, I guess I like the nuance of this because the clouding, as we've explored a lot, is very convenient for the patriarchy. It's very convenient mm -hmm. for existing hierarchies and power systems to, you know, I thought of this term a lot, which is getting thrown around of gaslighting and mm -hmm. like it's gaslighting at a societal level. It's not just an individual kind of questioning somebody else's version of events and, and trying to make them feel crazy. It's a societal level of that where there is so little calling out of well, this is the game that we're playing. So the people who aren't aware of the game or aren't playing the game are like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> There's a really <laughs> nice example of that. Just a really tiny little piece in the added up chapter yeah. where Chris mentions um, the experiment where I think it's six people, you know, mm. turn themselves in, uh, they commit themselves into a, an institution for schizophrenia, even though they're absolutely mentally well. And, um, the institution treats them as if they're schizophrenic mm -hmm. um that they everything now is confirming well that's exactly what a schizophrenic person would say yeah yeah and i feel like that's a really interesting little example of what you're saying that totally when you're in these big systems you anything that you do that that transgresses is just affirming it just you know it's just a self self-reflexive in some ways um i feel like there's something so incredibly spiralic about Chris Krause's work. Mm. Like it circles back in on itself. She's got a way of writing where stories circle back on themselves. Mm -hmm. The episodes mirror and reflect of the TV show. They, they, they circle back on themselves again. Um, and I think that 
I, I didn't realize but this beforehand, but from reading Joan Hawkins' essay, um, that there is a follow-up, there is a, a prequel slash sequel to I Love Dick, which is called mm. Torpor, mm-hmm. um, in which Chris is writing about the time before I Love Dick, which results in I Love Dick, which then talks about the time after I Love Dick, which I, I haven't read it, but it just it sounds really typical of her sort of way of of working and writing and thinking about the world. But I was delighted to discover that Jerome and Sylvie, mm-hmm. who are the characters in the in yeah. the film that gets cut from from the Venice Biennale in the TV show, are actually characters in torpor mm-hmm. in the book, yeah. and they do represent Chris and Sylvia again. So I just I was like really really glad that they'd found the TV show had I found the connection between those two things. Um, I got a lot of satisfaction about it. Totally. And Joan, I think Joan mentions that in this essay that like there was some legal threat from Dick about this and that may have, she's conjecturing, may have like instigated Chris to start moving chunks of information Mm. around to sort of blur this a little bit, which I like too. Like, I mean, it's nice that as you say, like, it's nice to sort of see the distance between Chris Krauss character and Chris Krauss writer. And like, it's not important that the facts all mirror reality uh, in a one-to-one way, you know? Um, Joan also points out that most people want to focus on Dick when the book's not mm-hmm, even about mm-hmm. Dick. Yeah. It's yeah. about Chris and Sylvia. If anything, um, and majoritatively about Chris, and yeah, I, I think it's fascinating that that's what everyone wanted to find out: who was Dick, and you know that Dick was so he found the the letters so defaming somehow that he would threaten, like yeah, I guess I guess also maybe because most people were reading that book because it was so outrageous and different for its time. They were reading it as memoir and couldn't conceive of it as fiction, even though the references to it having a fictional element are peppered all through the book. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we don't, like, yeah, maybe as at a societal level, like, we just didn't have the experience to properly do that at that time at that point in time and like as time has gone on kind of that's we've had the language and the experience to kind of process it that way um there's there's a lot of stuff about like signifying chains Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so i just want to talk briefly about that i don't really have too much of an understanding of what that means other than the idea that um and it seems similar to this like Noam Chomsky idea that basically like we've erected a structure out of language that is all kind of based on each thing that's sort of reference referencing cross-referencing another thing and that that big structure is in our minds it is not out in the world so mm-hmm. so like it, it's a way of like undermining the 
rock hard solidity that these things can kind of take on the congealedness of them in our minds. And um, I was really attracted to that idea because you can like it's calling out you can see little cracks every now and then just I think everyone can see these little cracks but to call out the cracks that's just not we don't do that we're not spending our time calling out the cracks because I think last time we talked about this a little bit too the the Haraway quote of like nothing precedes entertainedness and mm-hmm. you you uh, you talked about well that doesn't necessarily mean that there is no right and wrong or like, um, you know, like it's, it's really hard to exist in a space where language is like this constructed thing. And these things aren't as solid as we think they are, but not, it's not complete chaos either. It's not like we have to bounce between like moral relativism and moral absolutism. Like there's a, there's a something in between where they're they're like right and wrong can exist they're just not they they exist as concepts as opposed to chiseled in granite yeah similar to like ideas of truth like what Mm -hmm. the fuck is the truth Mm -hmm. and objectivity and Mm -hmm. universalism (laughs) and rationality Uh yeah 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 absolutely because they i mean those things all transform as soon as they're embodied you know, they as soon as they're experienced, then they 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 can't be universal. I don't. Yeah. I just don't believe that they can be universal. Um, totally. But it's an interesting. It's an interesting boundary. All of these things were kind of making me consider. Like, um, I read the. I I looked up schizophrenia and um, mm-hmm. to see what. Because I guess in my head, like when I was a kid or whatever, like schizophrenia to me meant like multiple personality disorder. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was that was how I yeah I remember reading it as well. Yeah, whereas <sighs> I think now it's like this. It seems like the definitions are a little bit broader. It doesn't necessarily mention any of that. Um, so hallucinations most commonly involve the sense of hearing as hearing voices but can sometimes involve any of the other senses of taste, sight, smell, and touch. They are also typically related to the content of the delusional theme. Delusions are bizarre or persecutory in nature. Distortions of self-experience, such as feeling as if one's thoughts or feelings are not really one's own, to believing that the thoughts are being inserted into one's mind, sometimes termed passivity phenomenon, are also common. Thought disorders can include thought blocking and the disorganized speech. Anyway, I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think who doesn't like hear voices being narrated in their head or yeah, yeah. I mean, realize who, who doesn't yeah. have a narrator that sits there and absolutely yeah. tells you how the world is? Yeah, um, or d- distortions of self experience. Like, yeah, that's, everyone, that's the name of the game, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I guess I was, I think it's, I don't know. I think that there is a difficulty with um, Chris framing things through mental illness. Um, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. I don't, I, like, I don't think, I think it's maybe more to do with 
I mean, I didn't even know if she was aware of, aware of this at the time either, but through choosing to tell this story through the lens of autobiography, auto theory, auto fiction, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of these different strands going on. Like, how could you, you know, how, like, how would you be taken seriously at a point where these things weren't existing in the world? And I mean, I know auto fiction has been, has existed for a long time, but the way that she has, mm-hmm. she has done it is so, it's so different. It's so unique. Um, it's almost mm-hmm. like she was, I don't think I'm explaining myself very well, but almost anticipating the response. Hmm that this is a like this can be this 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 will be discredited because it's by a woman mm-hmm. because it is it could mm-hmm. be seen through you know as a mental illness it's like she finds ways to sort of foreshadow that or answer it mm-hmm. or answer to it like i'm you know moving through this really obsessive space of understanding that i know that these letters come across as memoir they come across like i'm crazy and obsessive Mm. and so here i am Mm -hmm. i'm going to actually take these things that i think are going to get thrown at me and filter it filter it through these you know through the subjectivity of art criticism and and uh and schizophrenia and um what does she call it like like it's like like sylvester's dumb cunt theory or yeah yeah you know like they, they they find a way chris finds a way to I don't know, have arguments in place. Much like I remember we've had a conversation Donna Haraway doing. Yes, yes. Like understanding yes. what the discourse is going to be and being ready yes. for it. Yes, completely. No, great, great call. Um, I think I just, I'm just going to add a piece of information that might shed some light on this too, which is that mm. to me, I feel like this is a reflection of her internal state more than a reflection of anticipating rea- like how the reception of this book is going to be because i heard her talking in another podcast yesterday where she's she was saying like after her last film flopped she vowed that she would never make another film until she understood why all of her films had flopped and that in the writing she she was writing letters without end goal in mind and that when she I think she got some fellowship that she went to some cabin with all these letters and um started crafting the book her anticipation was that a couple hundred people would read this book ever and she said you know there was an incredible amount of freedom in that like Mm -hmm. similar to what we were saying about like casting something into the void like yeah you know um so she said basically like i i think what she was saying is relates to what we're talking about in that she was writing this without um without an expectation that there was going to be a a big audience that was going to have all this discourse going on about her book but it's it's still there and i think it's there because she's embodied so much of this breaking down and churning through these ideas and dealing with how these experiences contrast with how everyone thinks experience should be or or what the art world's accepted terms are and you know it's um 
yeah I don't know does that yeah that totally rings true to me yeah yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's I wonder then if it's gosh it would have been so I, I guess it would have been so hard to write this book with the intention for it in its finished state like it had to be mm-hmm. embodied like she mm-hmm. had to go through mm-hmm. the process of writing these letters of grappling with this shit with dick and Sylvia and just in order for it to become what it is i you mm-hmm. know i think it's incredible mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible um yeah <laughs> Have you got any other notes? Um, not really. I, yeah. Not really. I, I, I mean, I guess I just found it such a... I can, it's been a really confusing experience yeah. watching and trying to talk about this. You've yeah. felt the same. <laughs> Completely, yeah. I was feeling some anxiety about that too. Like, mm-hmm. um, what is the conversation going to sound like when we <laughs> are feeling that way? Yeah. I, I, I wonder if there's something useful about the not knowing. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty vulnerable place to be and try and speak from a place of just yeah. not being sure. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's okay. I think that yeah. that's okay. And I mean, uh, that, you know, that might feed into, you know, the next, the next four episodes. Cause we're halfway through now, aren't we? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are. Uh, well, I'm really, I'm sure that the next couple of episodes are going to be excruciating as well, but <laughs> I did take a sneak peek. I think that Joey Soloway directed the next one. So I'm really interested to see what the, mm. what the contrasting styles will be. Me too. Because I felt that the two most difficult ones to watch have been directed by Andrea Arnold, which she know. just doesn't pull any fucking punches. Yeah. Punches. She makes you feel it every yeah. second and it's excruciating. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, let's let's see what we let's see what we stumble into on these next ones. I'm I'm excited. I mean, I can't believe we're only halfway through. I mean, it's mm-hmm. as you said as you said in that um, that experience you had with the um, oh God, what was you the the filmmaking or the film watching experience you had? Oh, where, um, Cinema Divina with yeah. um, Marilyn mm-hmm. Freeman. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I, think I really that, love that's really been valuable to, story for me to like consider as we're going through this um oh i'm really glad i'm really glad yeah. i i'm constantly thinking back to it as well actually just yeah. being allowed to have several different uh reviews and 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 having layers and uh, the idea that yeah. that the viewing and the, yeah. the work ultimately comes back to sort of you Yes. And how it transforms inside you, which I think yes. is really, I think it's yeah. really useful. Um, oh God. Yeah. Like the work, <laughs> the work doesn't have to be one thing and you don't have to be one thing. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a real freedom in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I keep reminding myself that it's okay to find it difficult too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, 
Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm hoping we get some different flavors in the ice cream cone next week. I'm, yeah, oh, God, me too. <laughs> I'm not sure how much more discomfort I can manage, but. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, you made it to the end. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Thinking With. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated on the next season. A five-star rating and review will help get our stories out to more people. Thank you so much.